Well, welcome back to Messy Church. Um, we have been uh, a while uh, since we've been in this. Uh, we started this series back in January. Um, if you can remember back that far, before you had to wear a mask and before we had to socially distance and all that craziness that came um, after that. And uh, we started this series way back then, and we're going to be picking up on it again today. And uh, it's kind of fitting that we started um, our new building off of this series and excited to finish it uh, as we head into the fall this year. Uh, And it would have been pretty easy for me not to deal with the last couple chapters. Um, We actually have dealt with chapter 15 before at Easter, uh, but it would have been easy to skip over chapters 12, 13, 14, and then his final conclusion in 16. But 12 and 13 uh, specifically, even into 14, are very, very crucial for us as a church. And they're going to tackle this subject of spiritual gifts. And so we're going to be in here for a little while. Um, And we have never, as a church, we're only, um, we're going to be five years next week, which is crazy to think. So in our five years, we have never hit spiritual gifts, um, which is on your pastor. Uh, And so we're going to talk about that over the next couple weeks and kind of share where we land as a church and um, walk through that. And so in spiritual gifts, I don't know if you've been in church for a while or this is your first time in church, but spiritual gifts kind of go on to two extremes. Martin Luther said it's kind of like a drunk guy on a horse. Um, And so I'm just going to go with Martin Luther on that one. Or he said, you can kind of like fall off of one side because you're not steady, or you can fall off the other side. And so on one extreme um, of spiritual gifts, you never talk about spiritual gifts because you're weirded out and you don't want to be thinking about those kind of people who are get crazy with the gifts and you just feel like it's better just to stay restrained and I don't have to lift my hands in worship. I don't have to do anything stings. I get uncomfortable. I just kind of stay in my lane. Or on the other extreme, you can fall off the horse the other side and you can go into the, you know, the super charismatic and you can get into some of those worlds and Maybe some of you maybe come from those worlds. And so I want to just say this morning that we're going to kind of land in the, in the middle, and I want to kind of talk about biblically what does it mean to have spiritual gifts so that uh, we are unified together as we move forward. So as I said, on the one side, you have the charismatic Pentecostal, maybe even assemblies of God that kind of maybe lean on one side of the, the spectrum. And then on the other side, you have the, the Baptist, the fundamentals, which Ironically, um, the fundamentals take all the fun out of fundamentalism (laughs) at times, but um, we could be on either side of those, and as we look at those, I want to kind of look at this specifically and what the Bible has to say. And so add to all of that confusion that we as a church, like I said, have never dealt with this topic, and so I am really, really excited uh, to jump into spiritual gifts, and I'm really excited because the spiritual gifts are not as divisive as one may think, and actually they're based off of the Holy Spirit and His role in our lives far more than anything else. So again, over the next three Sundays, we're going to look and tackle the idea of spiritual gifts. More specifically, though, we're going to look at the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And and here's the truth. Without a working knowledge of who the Holy Spirit is, we cannot understand what he does or how he operates. So we have to understand who he is. And we may often know about the Holy Spirit, like I know about mechanics. So, So for instance, you may know about the power of the Holy Spirit in the way that I know about alternators in cars. Okay, so I know that they exist. Um, I know that they are part of a vehicle. Uh, my dad was a mechanic, and so he's like, if he's watching, I apologize right now, um, as I always do whenever I talk about mechanics. He's just like, ah, I tried so hard with this one. Um, and I remember that it's important because on the drive home in uh, high school, uh, I realized the power of the alternator because I was driving home, and all of a sudden my lights started to kind of blink a little bit, and they started to dim a little bit. 
It started to dim a little bit more. And then my radio started flashing. And I'm like, this is weird. Like, I'm getting, like, a, something's taking over my vehicle. And then as soon as, like, I thought, that's weird, everything just shut down. Like, the entire car just powered down. And I'm like, oh, that's not good. Because if you know where I used to live, uh, we lived out near um, Salem, and it was just like empty, you know, roads everywhere. And, and I click, 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 nothing, 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 nothing. And and my dad had warned me, I think, numerous times that you know you need to look at your alternator because it's it's, it's what powers your vehicle. It, long story short, I didn't. And um, the amazing thing is, uh, it, it's an amazing piece of machinery. And had I known like what it is and, and the importance of it, I probably should have you know actually paid more attention to it. And just like the, the lights in, in your car and the fact that the alternator powers your battery, it was important to know, but I never really, it, it didn't really re- make any sense or I didn't really pay attention to it until it was almost like too late and I realized that I needed it. I learned what it was later and I've often replaced a couple of them, um, not the right way. I remember I was replacing one, this is just a rabbit trail, but I was replacing one and my father-in-law arrives into my driveway and he sees a wrench in this hand, a, I don't even know what was in this hand, maybe a screwdriver, and then in the hood of the, the vehicle was a broomstick, like just stuck coming out of the hood and he says, you need some help? And I'm like, nope. And he, I said, I probably should accept help on this. And like one was holding the tensioner and one was holding the other. It was, it was terrible. Uh, I almost lost a hand that day. Um, but I've learned about them. But even now, if I were to open a car hood, I would, and it's all changed right now, obviously. I get with, you know, the times and things like that. But if I were to open the hood right now, I would probably pop open the hood and be like, I am, I, I'm sure it's in there somewhere. I'm sure there's some piece and part of it. I'd, I'd open the hood and say, look, there's, there's like a black thing. There's another black thing over there. there. There's a yellow cap that has like a whale splashing on it. That's kind of cool. Uh, and then we learned a couple, remember, remember this? We learned a while back that also in your car, we have a cooking snakes light. Um, that's in your car. And so we, they, we, we may realize that that's kind of all we know about vehicles. That's all I know about vehicles. And the same can be often true in how we relate to the Holy Spirit. We know he's important. We know he's there. We know we should, you know, rely on him. But, but as far as how he works and what he does, we are not really sure. I knew about alternators. I've had experiences when they failed, but they made no real difference in my life. And I can rarely, if ever, locate them today. And, and, and unfortunately, I think for us as a church, sometimes that may be true of the Holy Spirit as well. We know who he is. We know what he does. We know he's important in the Bible, but we really don't know how he works, how he operates. And so I am really excited over the next couple of weeks to kind of dive into who, this, who the Holy Spirit is, his role in our life. And I really am praying that he does an amazing work through this text that we're going to jump into in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is where we're going to be this morning. We're going to jump around a little bit through chapter 12 this week, and then we're going to go more specific into it next week. So, so if you remember 1 Corinthians, remember our first week, you probably don't remember that, but it was all the way back in January. Paul was addressing this church that he started, and he left elders in charge of this church. You may remember that they had many issues that came up in this church, and the biggest issue in this church was disunity. There was factions all over the church. Um, there was some that believed this and some that believed that. I mean, it, it, it's, it's probably fitting even today where there are so many probably different spectrums politically and, and, and this whole mask mandate thing. And you're probably all over the place on where you believe. But, but there's a unity that should come in a church. And that wasn't there in the Corinthian church. It was disunified. It was on the verge of breaking. And they were basically a hot mess. They were disunified. Uh, to kind of put it in perspective, think the 2017 Cavs roster. Um, Dwayne Wade, LeBron, Derek Rose, Isaiah Thomas, 
J.R. Smith and how they all worked together so beautifully in that 2017 season. There was no egos. There was no politics. There was nothing. They were just such a streamlined team. It was a train wreck, if you don't remember. Um, uh, it was all these superstars coming onto one team, and all of them were like, I'm a superstar. And then you had, you know, the coach who was the stable coach, and I don't know what he did. But it was a terrible season. I mean, it was not good. And then we, you know, haven't had many good seasons since. But it's a whole other story. Yes, unity was a big issue. And Corinthians were splitting into factions. They were angry. They were bitter. Here are some major issues that came up in the church, just to refresh us. They were uh, sleeping around with other people's moms. They were suing their friends. They were getting drunk in service and making fun and mocking the planting pastor. I mean, that was all happening within the Corinthian church on a regular basis. And so the things that the Corinthian church loved, but the thing they loved the most in their church was knowledge and wisdom. They loved it. They were like, it was the top echelon of, of Corinthian church. If you had knowledge and had wisdom and you could speak eloquently, you were accepted in the church. You were seen as a pinnacle in the church. If you didn't have knowledge and wisdom, if you couldn't just expound on things, they were kind of like, we don't want anything to do with you. They, they judged each other harshly about how wise each other sounded, how much knowledge they had, and it was brutal. I mean, the fact that if you sounded un, un, un uh, I didn't say theological, or if you sounded that you didn't know, you were set apart as somebody distinct. And I have a little bit of um, knowledge about this because um, I did go to the super bubble called Moody Bible Institute. And uh, in this bubble of Christianity, there was often times where I felt the pressure of being surrounded by strong Bible teachers and theologians, but it wasn't the teachers that were the issue. It was the students who judged you and looked down on you if you didn't believe the way that they believed, if you didn't have the right terminology, uh, if you didn't get on the elevator and the first guy to turn to you and say, what's up, brother in Christ? And, and at that point, I, had, I was very, very cynical, and I, I said, nope. Uh, and I said, you are not my brother. I have one. He's home. You're not him. And it was just a whole thing. But it was just this culture that was just so backbitey when it came to speaking of knowledge and of wisdom. In other words, they would basically say things like these that would make them feel even more superior. Don't you know that the sovereignty of God is diminished through your sense of anthropomorphism, which is causing you to lose the very omnipotence and incommunicable attributes of omniscience of God you say you love? And worse that, it leaks into your view of eschatology, pneumatology, and even your, your ec- ec- uh, ecclesiology, your pneumatology, and your eschatology. Can you not see that all of those things work together so that you know who your divine and sovereign Lord is? I'm like, what are you saying? What do you mean? You're just saying that, like, I don't trust the, I don't, I don't get it. And, and they would say these kind of things, and you'd feel the pressure of, I got to respond. That was the Corinthian church. There was so much wisdom and knowledge that you felt you had to do. And we're going to look at why that comes into play here and why I spend so much time on wisdom and knowledge. You're going to look at that next week. But know that that was the kind of the scenario and the pressures that they were facing on a regular basis. And as they're facing these issues, The Corinthian church writes a letter to Paul asking him to comment on all the things that they are dealing with in their lives. And he goes sporadically throughout this letter and he addresses each issue that they wrote to him about. And this one, he's going to deal specifically with spiritual gifts. Now, before we get into spiritual gifts, let me talk a little bit about the basics of the Holy Spirit, okay? 
This is going to be a lot of knowledge today, a lot of verses. We're going to get more specific and practical next week, so just stick with me, okay? So this morning's going to be a lot more head, a lot more verses, and we're going to kind of fly through a couple things. But I want you to have the backbone and the background for uh, this idea of Holy Spirit before we jump into spiritual gifts, because you have to know who the Holy Spirit is before you jump into the gifts. So I want to give you a brief overview. Now, this is, this is not going to be possible to give you everything, um, but I'm going to try and give you some basics. So the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, and the Trinity is, let me give you a, a working definition that may help, is the, the, the Trinity is the eternal God existing in three distinct persons who are active throughout the entire Bible. So, so the Trinity is the, the eternal God, that's important, you're going to see that in a second, existing in three distinct persons who are active through the entire Bible. The Holy Spirit is fully God. He is foremost the personal presence of God in our lives. He was present in creation in Genesis 1 and 2. In the beginning, God, this word is Elohim, it's plural. In the beginning, this plural God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the earth. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. We're going to get into Genesis at the beginning of the year, so just be prepared for that. But for this morning, the Holy Spirit is this part of this triune God who is with God in the beginning and functions in our lives. Many people say, well, the Holy Spirit, he's just about the, the New Testament, right? Like Acts, and he comes on people in tongues, and, and there's healings involved. He wasn't really active in the Old Testament. That's not actually true. The Holy Spirit can be found throughout the Old Testament. He can be found in Exodus 35, Psalm 51, Isaiah 57, and many other places in the Old Testament. And he's often known in the Old Testament by the Hebrew word reach, which basically, it's fun. You got to get the in it. You got to get some good phlegm. So, rach. And so it's breath. It means breath in, in the Old Testament, and it's found 86 times in the Old Testament alone. He's found in the period of Judges as the wind of God. It was the wind from God which caused the waters of the flood to subside in Genesis 8.1. He's what blew uh, locust over of Egypt in Exodus chapter 10.13. The blast of his nostril separated the washers of the Red Seas. We believe the power was evident in their leaving of Exodus. He is the breath of life. The breath of God, con- the breath of God constituted man as a living being in Genesis chapter 2.7. Some believe that the Holy Spirit is actually part of that breath that filled uh, our bodies as we became alive in the Old Testament. It is one of the earliest perceptions of Hebrew faith that man lives only because of the stirring of the divine breath of spirit within him. Job, Psalms, a whole bunch of passages. And later, a clear distinction was drawn between divine spirit and human spirit and between the spirit and the soul. But the earliest stages, the, these were all more or less synonymous manifestations of the same power. So like, here's what you need to know. It was the breath of life, the power of God in the Old Testament that is coming on people as you walk through the Old Testament. At certain points in the Old Testament, you can see the Holy Spirit's activity throughout the lives of those in the Old Testament. Specifically, let me give you one, Joseph and the idea of interpreting dreams. Many say that this idea of interpreting dreams, the power to do so is because the Spirit of God was upon him, okay? Uh, it enabled a guy named Bethel to create all the beautiful art and symbols of the tabernacle, and that was one that the Spirit said it came upon him, and he was able to create all the symbols of the tabernacle and all the artifacts that he designed and all the lamps and all the things that put upon him. It's later said to be... Um, 
the prophetic spirits that later the prophets spoke of the spirit in explicit terms as the inspirer of prophecy, Ezekiel, Haggai, Zechariah, and they looked back to the pre-exile age and these prophets freely attributed the inspiration of the former prophets to the spirit as well, Zechariah 7, 12. So you see the Holy Spirit in creation. You can see it coming upon people in the Old Testament. You can see it in the, in the prophets and it's found throughout the Old Testament. And then you get into the New Testament and you see the Holy Spirit by a different name and it's the Greek word by the name of Numa, and it's found at least 261 times in the New Testament. And in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit reveals truth of Scripture to us in John 16, 8, 1 Corinthians 2, 12. Jesus said it is better the Spirit come than he stay here, John 14. The Holy Spirit is described in many different images in the New Testament. He's described as a dove in Matthew 3, 16, Mark 1, Luke 3, John 1, as fire in Acts chapter 2, as a seal or a watermark in 2 Corinthians first, chapter 1, verse 22. We are sealed until the day of salvation by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's described as water in John 4, 14, in John 7, Isaiah 41, and as wind in John 3, 8 in Acts 2. You see that throughout the Bible, we can often miss who he is, and we just can focus on the other two in the, in the, in the, in the Godhead. But ultimately, if we're to understand spiritual gifts, if we're to understand unity, if we're to understand our passages, we have to understand who the Holy Spirit is in and throughout the Word of God. So the Holy Spirit also is involved in our salvation. He works in our salvation. John 3, 6 says this, that which is born of flesh is flesh and that which is born of spirit is spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells us at salvation and guarantees our entrance into heaven, 2 Corinthians 1, 22, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 5, Ephesians 1, 13, Ephesians 1, 14, Romans 8, 11. The Holy Spirit is active in every part of our salvation says this, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give you your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. This is the spirit's work. He's involved in salvation. He's involved in our faith and he's involved in our day to day. The Holy Spirit, as we will read, also enables us to say that Jesus is Lord which is an amazing fact that he says we basically are, are against God from the beginning and the Holy Spirit is the one that enables us to say these things. The Holy Spirit fills us. The Holy Spirit is probably one you've heard most often, the comforter and the counselor in John 14 and 16. The Holy Spirit also produces fruit in us. You've seen that in Galatians chapter uh, f- uh, 5 and 6. And you see these ideas of, of what he is producing. There's a slide here i show you real quick. He, he, here's the fruits that he produces in us. He produces gentleness, peace, love, goodness, patience, self-control, kindness, joy, faithfulness. These are all the things that produced from the Spirit and can only be produced by the Holy Spirit and not of ourselves. And then if that's not enough, the Holy Spirit is believed in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, to be the one who restrains the power of sin in our world. The Holy Spirit has so often been like the alternator of our cars that we just kind of forget he's there, we just kind of do our thing. And if we're not careful, we can live our Christian life, our entire Christian life, we can almost live our entire Christian life as functioning Christian atheists. He's, he's given us our salvation, but it's up to me to get to heaven, right? He, he's given me the power to be saved. He's given me my ticket to heaven. And now I just got to work my way to Jesus, which is not true. The power that he gives us is for every single day. And he's asking us to be reliant upon him. 
And he is the one who empowers the gifts that we will read about next in chapter 12. And here's my heart for the next couple weeks together. My heart is that we would know him more fully. My heart is that we would not restrain his work from Community Bible Church. And I mean that, I mean, there's a lot of things I put in my notes, but this is one that I I want to really highlight. I do not want to restrain what the Holy Spirit can do through the life and the body of Community Bible Church here in this community. My heart is that we would not grieve the Spirit as we are cautioned against in Ephesians chapter 4. And my heart is that we would not quench the Spirit as we are warned against in 1 Thessalonians 5, but allow Him to have access to every part of our lives. That's my hope. And as we do that, my prayer is He would enable the gifts for us as believers in Jesus Christ that we would use them well. Let me pray this morning and then we're going to jump into 12. It won't be long in this one, I promise. We're going to just hit a couple more verses and then we're going to work through. That was a lot to take in the very intro. You're like, man, he's just getting to the text? Yeah. (laughs) So, you're welcome. Some of you are like, I knew we picked the wrong week to come back. (laughs) I knew it. I knew it. We should have stayed off. Stick with me. Stick with me. God, we thank you so much this morning. God, we, 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 we know this is a lot. We know this is a lot to take in. But, but here's the truth. You have an, you, for those who are in Jesus Christ, who have put their full faith and weight into Jesus, you've promised that we have the Holy Spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would make sense of this, that you would illumine our eyes and our ears to hear from your text. God, we pray that as the, as the full body works together, the full Godhead works together, we would understand it well. We pray that we would not restrain your work today. We pray that we would not quiet or quench your work. But, Father, we would allow you to speak. God, I have nothing to offer that you don't equip. I have nothing to offer that you don't empower. God, you are the one we turn to this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Again, I'm not going to be all through chapter 12. I just want to hit a couple things this morning, and then I'm going to let us go, I promise. So um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, let's look at verses 1 through 3 to begin with, as this is the intro. Verse uh, 1, now concerning spiritual gift brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. (laughs) That's a great start, isn't it? He's like, hey, I know you wrote me about spiritual gifts. I know you had questions about them. I know they're getting a little crazy in your church out there in Corinth. I know people are starting to get on both factions of spiritual gifts. You got some weirdos happening in your church, and you got some people who are really upset about the weirdos. So let me just kind of explain. Let me help you understand. I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about spiritual gifts. And I would say he says the same to us here this morning. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, I do not want you to be uninformed. He says this, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led, there's actually a discrepancy that you were is actually not even in the original text, but that's a whole other story. However, you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, to give you just some context, basically there was a lot of religions happening at that time in Corinth. One of them was this worship of this Princess Diana, and there was a lot of craziness that was happening in the worship to this this unholy God in that city. Uh, And and I couldn't go, there's just too much to go through as far as what all that they did to worship this deity. But one of the things that came up was there was this feeling and belief that that the spirit of God was causing people to say that Jesus is accursed. And and he says, you need to know that would never happen. Go back to Jesus' words about um, 
Satan and his work and when they accuse Jesus of being a demon. Um, and he says, Jesus is Lord can only happen through the power of the Holy Spirit. God is the one doing the salvation. God is the one who does these things. In other words, he's saying all the power that you're going to read about in chapter 12 and 13 and 14 is all because of Jesus and Jesus alone. It's all because of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Therefore, he says, I don't want you to understand that Jesus is cursed. He says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except the Holy Spirit. And then he continues on uh, later in that passage in verses 4 to 6. Okay? There's a lot I can go through. I'm going to skip through some of that, Justin. Let's go down to 4 through 6. Um, now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are a variety of service, but the same Lord. Now, this is, this is beautiful, by the way. Um, Let's just kind of look at this for a second because I don't want us to miss this. Paul, in his writing, inspired by the Holy Spirit, has given us such an amazing, amazing thing here. Go to chapter, um, uh, verse 4 for me, Justin, real quick. Um, He says this, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation for the Spirit for the common good. If you're to look at this entire thing, right, this is amazing. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, same way of saying gifts, same Lord. There are a variety of activities. There's the same God who all three empower them all in everyone. Do you see that the Trinity, even Paul is trying to say, hey, there's a Trinity happening here. And there's a Trinity that's working in your gifts. And there's a variety of them, but the Spirit... is in it and the Lord is in it and God is in it and the Trinity is working together to empower them all in everyone. So often we think the spiritual gifts is like just the Holy Spirit's job description. It's just his deal. It's actually the triune God working in our gifts. And there is power behind the Spirit, but ultimately Paul's reminding us all of this is because of the triune God that we serve. It says there's a variety of gifts, there's a variety of activities, there's given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, the purpose of these gifts, and we know there's a lot of them, we're not going to get into all of them today, we're going to cover that next week, but there's a purpose behind your gift. In other words, the Bible's going to tell us that you, when you accept Jesus Christ for the first time, when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are enabled with a spiritual gift that is given for the purpose of not you, this is going to be important. We're going to do this next week. Not just for you, that spiritual gift is there to work in the body of Jesus Christ. Okay, we're going to cover that in just a second. But there's a purpose in these gifts, and part of that purpose is the manifestation of working in the body of Jesus Christ. We get this because there's two different words used of the Holy Spirit here, or I'm sorry, of gifts here, and there's two different words for the same gift in this passage. So in 12.1, when the emphasis is on the power behind the gift, when the Holy Spirit is the focus, in 12.1, he uses the word pneumica. And that's this word that you see for gifts in 12.1. If you have a little asterisk in your Bible that says spiritual gifts, and there's a number, and then it takes you down to the very bottom, that's because that word is different than spiritual gifts throughout the thing, throughout the rest of the text. Okay, so this, this idea of pneumica, when he's using that, it's the emphasis Paul's trying to drive you to is the power of the Holy Spirit. 
The focus, the lens, the camera angle is zoomed in on the Holy Spirit and His power in your gifts. When He uses the other word, charismata, He is using that in the, in the focus. The camera then zooms from the Holy Spirit onto you and His power, what He's doing in you. Does that make sense? So in one sense, it's the power of the Holy Spirit. The rest of this chapter, He's going to focus in on the gifts and He focuses on you and in your, holy, in, in your working of it. So when the emphasis is on the revealing or the manifestation of the Spirit through the gifts, the gifts become the focus, and that's in 12.4, 12, 12, 12.9, 12.28, 12.30, the 31. That's where you see the gifts used. And I know that's a really weird distinction. Why do I need to know that? You need to know that because the Bible is clear on these things, and I want you to have a working knowledge of this thing, that this isn't just your pastor making things up to get a point across. This is how the Word of God is and was communicated, and we need to take the text for what it is and not what we want it to mean. Does that make sense? So we, we are very, very big here. We're called Community Bible. Bible church, that what the Bible says we go with, not what the pastor wants to say, but what the Bible says about it. And if the Bible's directing us to say this is the power of the Holy Spirit, that's important because he starts all spiritual gift talk off with this statement. Let's put the camera angle where it's supposed to be, and that is on the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's focus, laser focus on the power of the Holy Spirit, and then we'll work on you guys and the rest of the congregation on, on the gifts themselves. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, verse 11 tells us. He says, you are given these not for yourself, but for the body of Jesus Christ. He'll go on later in verse 12 to say this, for just as the body is one and has many, has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. He goes on further, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit, okay? This is for the body. The gifts were for the body of believers. Uh, to put it another way, Sam Storms in his book, um, Beginning, uh, uh, the, the Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts, says this, gifts are God going public among his people. I love that. Gifts are the manifestation of the Spirit, and He is going public in His people. Whenever somebody is exercising their spiritual gift, they are displaying the power of the Holy Spirit, not the power of the individual. That makes sense? Isn't that beautiful? So whenever you're exercising your gift, whatever your gift is, it's not about your, right, your hype and your, your, your you know, credentials. It's about, man, isn't it cool that the Holy Spirit's working that in you? So, so when I'm, I'm teaching or preaching and, and that gift is being used, it's not like, oh, wow, you're such a gifted preacher. Oh, no, stop, stop, stop. Um, it's not that, that kind of thing, right? It's the idea of, no, it's the power of the Holy Spirit working in those gifts so that when we see it, we look at it and say, wow, not you. Wow, God, that's amazing. That's cool. And then see that God is working in it. That's the power and the purpose of the gifts. And then we go into verses 8 to 10, and he gives us a list. We're going to talk about these next week. Um, Verse 8, For one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same gift. Did you pick up on this thing in verse uh, 12, 8, uh, the fact that he speaks on two things? What? Knowledge and wisdom. And he directs all the power and all the credentials and all the accolades. Don't go to the people in the church. They go to the power of the Spirit. To which the Corinthians were like, ooh, ouch, Paul, come on, man. I thought we were wise. No, all of it goes back to the Spirit. Utterance of wisdom, utterance of knowledge, we're going to do those next week. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. For to one is given the Spirit, uh, through the Spirit, the utterance of wisdom, to another utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. We'll talk about that specifically. To another, the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. 
And that's just in chapter 12. The other lists that we're going to cover next week are in chapter 12, verses 8 to 10, as we just looked at. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 28 to 31. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, 11 to 18. And those are the gifts you're going to see spread out throughout scriptures for the purpose of explanation. So you're going to see Romans, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians again, and Ephesians are all the lists that we're going to dive into next week, not this week. Okay? So... Where do we land with all this? So that's a lot of head knowledge. And I knew there was going to be a lot of head knowledge today. Next, we're going to actually look at the gifts and what they are and how they work and, and wh- what that may mean for us as Community Bible Church. But for this morning, let me just close with this. This morning, the biggest thing that we need to understand about these gifts of the Holy Spirit is this. They were given as part of a triune God for the purpose of displaying the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of a local and global community called the church. And when they are on display and when they are working properly, the glory doesn't go to the church. The glory goes to God. Does that make sense? The glory is not about that church. And we in America often highlight the church and we miss the God behind it. I promise you, as we look through these things this morning, I don't want us to miss the power and the glory goes to God and not to you, okay? It goes to Him. And along the way, here's what happens with spiritual gifts. We get really, really weirded out by the ones we like and the ones we don't like. We're gonna talk about that next week. But in the midst of it, He's asking us to use our gifts in a way that we become one body. Now, you can't see this really well, but small little Jenga thing, right? And this is the power of the church working well when everybody has their gift and everybody knows their gift and everybody's working in relation to the Holy Spirit and he's working in the church and they're able to see it and use it. What happens, though, often in church is that one can kind of just assume that they are not needed in the church or they don't know their spiritual gifts, and they kind of like just kind of pull out from the church, and they say, oh, I'm not being used. I really can't do anything, and so I, I'm just going to hang out over here. And then somebody else is like, well, that looks more fun than actually serving somewhere, so I'm going to do that too. And so they, they kind of jump on board, and they, they leave the church. Not leave the church, but they don't use their spiritual gifts, and they're not here. And then all of a sudden, somebody else says, well, I don't really even know what the Holy Spirit is. I've never even heard that he's part of this thing, and so apparently I'm, I'm not really sure even what I believe about the Spirit, so I'm going to kind of cheating in Jenga. I'm, gonna, um, I'm, gonna leave. I'm not going to serve either or serve or even just use my gifts, and I, I, I'm not really sure what it is. And, and all of a sudden, as you see this, like piece by piece, they start to kind of go away. And, and the more we don't use our spiritual gifts, the more we're unaware of them, Ooh, buddy, the more, some of you, are, how many of you are anxious right now? <laughs> You're like, this is going to go. This guy's going to lose it, right? The more we have people here that are not using their gifts here, the more unsteady the church becomes. Paul says it like this, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. 
And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor on unpresentable parts or treated with greater modesty. He basically says there are some gifts that aren't really seen, they aren't really exposed, not really highlighted, but they are the ones we need to know the most. Let me just kind of give you a quick example of this. So not many of you know, but uh, we have somebody in our church who, who works with our books and does a lot of our uh, pay and a lot of our checks are getting written, things like that. And she does it on a very volunteer basis. And she comes in, she does her job, she leaves. And it's done perfectly, and, and we don't even know she's there, and she's doing it as a volunteer. So, Jesse, I'm going to highlight you. I know you don't like this, but I'm doing it anyway. But she comes in every single week. She does her job specifically. I'm glad there's somebody who's, like, anal and retentive on all the things that need to be seen and crossed, because that's not me. I'll be like, just spend money. I don't care. Um, so she does very specifically. She knows all the things to do. She knows all things right, and she does it on a volunteer basis, and her gifting is being used in the body of the church, but nobody sees it. And that's okay for her. She's like, I don't need paid. I don't need recognized for this. I'm just going to do it. And she's using her gifts and abilities. And she's starting to then, as she does so, she starts to rebuild the strength of the church. And as you continue to use your gifts and as you continue to use your strengths, you rebuild the strength of the church. And that's what we're after. He says in verse 25, that there, met, there, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, then all rejoice together. So as I honor Jesse, the rest of us just say, yes, amen, because God is being glorified in that. And if I say to your gifting, your, your gifting's being used, yes, amen, awesome, God's working in that. And we can celebrate together so that this becomes strengthened. And as this becomes strengthened, we become more healthy. Because what we don't want to see is kind of where we honestly are as a church right now, and this is, this is just kind of the, the way it is being year five, and, and we're really not fully establishing this. But here's what can sometimes happen, and I, my fear is this, that the pastor who, who's seen to have all the gifts and all the abilities and carry all the weight somehow tries to manage and put himself under all that. What's going to happen is it's going to crush him and the church is going to fall apart and the church is going to function because it's not the way it's meant to be built. Does that make sense? So our goal in the next, couple, in the next year, in, in, in the next couple of months as we lock by the Holy Spirit, is to enable the gifts in you all so that the pastor isn't here, but instead the pastor becomes just another part of the body serving, using your gifts to the glory of God and all becomes to the glory of God. Does that make sense? So that's what we're heading over the next couple weeks. You're going to learn your gifts. We're going to learn what they are. And I want to see them displayed so that the power of God is on display. Community becomes healthy. And it's not just about a single individual. It's about the body working together outside of the church walls, inside of the church walls to bring glory to God. Does that make sense? We're very first to be close. God, thanks so much for this morning. God, there's a lot of information. We're going to cover more of it in the next couple weeks as we look specifically at your gifts. But for this morning, I thank you so much for your truth, that you truly are in charge of your church. You are the one who gifts us specifically for the purpose of building up the body of Jesus Christ. We pray that as we learn who we are in you and how you've gifted us, this place will become far healthier than it's ever been in the last five years. That it would move forward in health as we learn our gifts and our talents and our abilities. God, I thank you that as we do so, we display the Holy Spirit's power in this church. And as we do that, the community looks and says, wow, something's happening there. God must be working there. And, and, and he is the one that gets all the glory. You are the one that gets all the glory and all the praise and all the recognition through it. 
It's in your name we pray. Amen.